Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. Tonight I I have titled my my sermon It doesn't matter until it does. It doesn't matter until it does. And I want to start off with a question. What is your relationship to manuals? That little piece of paper that comes when you bought your appliance, either it was a fridge, a blender, a microwave, uh, your cell phone, what relationship do you have with that little piece of paper? I mean, we do live in a generation where uh, you now can consult YouTube or you can go to Google, and so that little piece of paper has seemed to have lost its relevance. It doesn't matter until it does. The only time you seem to remember that paper exists is when something weird happens to your appliance that even Google cannot explain. I remember, uh, ooh, I probably shouldn't share this story because Dan and I didn't tell our authorities. But uh, there was an appliance that broke at church and, and we wondered, how could we fix this appliance without getting into trouble? And obviously we consulted Google and Google gave us possibilities of how to fix it. We couldn't fix it with Google. We then went to YouTube. Surely there's a YouTube video on the same TV and how you can fix it. YouTube had similar problems, but not the same one. And so we decided we might need to consult that little piece of paper that comes in the box of this appliance that we have purchased. But guess what? We threw that little piece of paper away. It doesn't matter until it does. Tonight you're going to notice something similar when it comes to the Word of God. The Word of God for many of us and for many in the world does not matter until it does. Tonight we find ourselves in, in a parable which is very different from many of the parables that you know. We find ourselves in Luke chapter 16 and, and, and it, is a, it is a parable which, which really isn't a parable or you could maybe call it a, a living parable, a, an, a story of actual events, a story in the timeline of reality, an illustration of actual events to explain a central point. And so the parable that we find here is a little bit of an interesting one, and I hope uh, the Lord may help us to find its meaning. So what we need to remember is that every parable has a purpose. Uh, Parables do not live in a vacuum by themselves. Every parable was shared to, to give a window to illustrate one main meaning. It was a window to a central truth that Jesus was teaching. And so when we come to this parable, we must ask ourselves the question, what is the one truth that Jesus wants us to take away from this parable? And so if you have your Bibles, please turn there to Luke 16. And for the context, we'll have to start from verse 13, but from, for tonight, we find ourselves in verses 19 to 31. But to find our context, won't you lift your eyes up to verse 13? 
to 17. Well, verse 13 reads, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You serve God and money. The Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men. But God knows your hearts for who, sorry, for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone who, and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Let's just ask the Lord to help us in our sermon tonight. God, even as I stand here, Lord, looking to proclaim your truth, I ask God that you would help me by your spirit, Lord, to speak clearly. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, you'd help me not to get tongue-tied. Lord, I, I pray that my thoughts wouldn't consume my mind, but I would be sober-minded even as I speak. God, I pray that I wouldn't speak anything that is not of you. And I pray that that which I've prepared is in sync with the heart of this passage and with the heart of the Almighty God. I pray even as your word is sounding forth, that Lord, believers would be challenged about the state of their faith. That believers would be challenged by the state of where they are in regards to their relationship with you. But God, even as your word sounds forth, I pray that, that as it says, it has, the, it has the power to cut. And so I, I pray that it cuts at the heart, that it cuts to the core of those who have rejected you and that they would see the reality of hell. Hell is a real place that was made for real souls. And so God, I pray, I pray God that, that they, as they hear your word being preached, that you'd be so gracious as to save them. And us those who call themselves children of God, may we again have a, 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 a re refined view of sin that helps us to see, God, that you take sin so seriously that wrath is poured out on sinful mankind. And that, God, we would change the way that we live and repent and look to strive to live in holiness. So lead us now through our worship to the preaching of your word, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. So in, in Luke chapter 16 from verse 13, we, we jump into a conversation that, that Jesus was having with the Pharisees. Jesus, in, in true Jesus style, in this conversation was, was showing the Pharisees that, that their religion, their religious practices that they thought would leave them in a good standing with God was actually going to leave them stunned and embarrassed on the last day. He was teaching that no one can serve two masters. It's either Jesus is Lord or money is Lord. It can never be both. He shared this knowing that the Pharisees loved money. In verse 14 it says, They heard all these things and they ridiculed him. That word ridicule is, is the same word as mock, which is a synonym of scoff, which, which is important for us to note because the, the, the word that, that Luke uses here is, is, is in the imperfect tense. 
which means again and again, again and again, again and again, they mocked Jesus for his teachings on you cannot serve two masters. Sounds similar? Is that not what we do today? Again and again, again and again, again and again, we ridicule the word of God saying, I know best, I can serve my degree, I can serve my relationships, I can serve my job, I can serve money and you at the same time. The Pharisees who were mocking Jesus probably were thinking, Jesus, what do you know? What credit do you have on the subject of money? Have you seen our lives? We have made it. We are successful. We are law keepers with a healthy bank balance. Jesus responds, well, you are those, in verse 15, who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. What strong words given to these men by Jesus Christ. Hey Pharisees, you you appear to be righteous in public, but God knows your heart. What they acknowledged as goodness, what, what they acknowledged as righteousness, as happiness, was in fact an abomination to God, what the world and its religious leaders prescribe to us through, through TikTok, through Twitter, through Instagram, through, through their sermons on YouTube, they, they prescribe to us a way to heaven which is only in fact a pathway to eternal death in hell where you will be paying for your sins at the hands of an angry God. Because the religious leaders of this day are not pointing you to Jesus, but are pointing you to your heart. Look at your heart. They are pointing you to better health. They are pointing you to success on this earth. But the religious leaders of this day are not pointing you to Jesus. And so you are well painted on the outside as a sheep headed to the slaughter. Where do you think your soul is going to go when you die? Why do you think that God should let you into his heaven? Is it because you are a good person and and two or three people can bear witness to the fact that, hey, you are good? Or maybe it's because you are a good person who does good things. More than two or three people can bear witness to the good that you have done. See, this was the very same response that the Pharisees gave which left them guilty of sin. They considered themselves good solely based on the religious good things that they did. You know I go to church, I attend Bible study, I share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hey, I wear the garments. But their hearts were far from God. You see, Jesus' response is interesting because he could have told them directly that all those good things that you think should earn you righteousness, should earn you right standing before God, all those good things are as filthy rags and the Pharisees would have known exactly what he was saying. But he doesn't say that. Look at verse 16 to 17. He says, the law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached 
everyone forces their way into it. You see, Jesus says here that, that the people had the Old Testament writings and, and they had these writings all the way until John the Baptist. We, we see John the Baptist here as acting as the bridge between the Old Testament as, and the New. John the Baptist is acting as that bridge between the Old Covenant and the ushering in of the New. John the Baptist, we know him to be, to be Elijah in the New Testament. He is the forerunner who has come to prepare the way for Jesus. He comes bearing the good news of the kingdom of God. What is this good news? The good news that Elijah, who is John the Baptist in the Gospels, is that God has come to save his people. The people of God cannot save themselves, but God has come to save them to his glory. Won't you believe in God? Verse 17 notes that it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. See, the, the law has done its job faithfully. It has shown the Pharisees, it has shown the nation Israel, it has shown us how sinful we really are in comparison with the Lord our God. It has shown us the standard of righteousness, that it is impossible to keep these standards of God because we are sinful beings. It has revealed that a sacrifice is required to secure the forgiveness of our sins against a holy God. But through the law, we also see that no sacrifice could fully cover the cost of sin. And so the law basically showed us that we need a Savior who is God. We need a Lamb whose blood would be sufficient to please the Father to forgive us of all our sins, past, present, and sins to come. And so we need the Lamb of God who is Jesus Christ. We need Jesus Christ to come into the world to take our sins away. The Pharisees had this law. Jesus did not come to nullify it, but Jesus was the fulfillment of this law. God has come. And so friends, as you sit here tonight, you may have heard all that I've just said and you're like, I know that. I've been going to church. That is nothing new to me. I have heard the word sin and I can define it. Sin is anything you say, anything you think, anything you do, or anything that you don't do that you're supposed to do that goes against God. I can explain what sin is. I have heard of this Jesus who came and he died. He was buried and he rose again. Hey, I know the gospel. In fact, in Easter, I will be here and I could preach the Easter sermon. But what does it matter today when my problems are many? What does this gospel of Jesus matter today when I am striving to be successful in my degree, but I'm always failing? Why, what does the gospel of Jesus Christ matter to me today when I can't even afford to fully live freely in my res? What does the gospel of Jesus matter to me when my desire is to be successful, young, famous, and rich? Man, I just want to be saved. I'm not asking for a lot. I, I don't need a house in Silver Lakes. God, I'm not asking for a house in Santon. I'm not asking for a house in Waterkloof. But God, may I at least get, have a house in the East. 
I don't want a Porsche. It doesn't have to be a G-Wagon, but at least can it be a VW GTI? I'm not asking for a Rolex, God, that's too much, but, but can it at least be a Daniel Wellington? You see, Jesus, you see, Jabu, you know that I love God. You know that I love Jesus. But give me some time to finish my degree before I can fully commit to him. All that you have said, I don't agree with it. I don't disagree with it. In fact, I say hallelujah and amen. You were probably nodding as I was saying it. But, but when it comes to the rubber hitting the road, okay, wait a minute. Before I commit, let me first settle my life. Let me first find that wife. Let me first find that husband. Let me first finish this degree. Let me first get the bag before I can fully commit to Jesus. I'm not that bad. I come to church, and when I don't come to church, I watch the stream. I pray. Hey, I read the Bible when I get a chance. It is this people that Jesus is about to share this parable to. A people who know Jesus, a people who know the stories of Jesus, a people who know what the Lord demands, but a people who don't have Jesus as their Lord. Someone else is their Lord and it's not Jesus. And it's with this background that we find ourselves in verse 19, the parable of the rich man and the sower. There was a rich man, verse 19 of Luke 16, who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. I kept reading that word as scrumptuously. Verse 20, And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came, to, came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime, received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish you got your good things verse 26 and besides all this between you and between us and you a great chasm has been fixed in order that that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us and he said then i beg you father to send him to my father's house for i have five brothers so that he may warn them lest they also come to this place of torment but abraham said they have moses And the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And so the first thing I'd like us to consider is the rich man. It says the rich man was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. 
You see, it says he was clothed in purple, and, and purple dye was expensive in, in those days. Not only was the dye expensive, but the material by which he made his clothes, the process of making that material was expensive. And so purple was generally reserved for royalty, and it was reserved for the rich. So this rich man had expensive taste in clothing. I'm not talking about the three stripes, the three stripes of Adidas. I'm not talking about the magical tick of Nike. I'm talking bigger, Christian Dior, Gucci, Louis V, you can name it. In this passage, it says not, not only were his outer garments saying that he was rich, but even his undergarments were saying he was rich. The fine linen that refers to his Calvin Klein underwear. This man was rich, rich. Not only was he rich, but he was comfortable with the things of the world. He was living your dream. It goes on to say that he feasted sumptuously, which means he was eating luxuriously. He wasn't eating those dishes that you see Tito Mboweni make on Twitter, not the chicken that's drowning in the water. He wasn't eating bread and peanut butter. This guy was eating meals that needed two types of forks. He was eating food that needed you to have two different kinds of knives, not just a butter knife. He was eating food that required two different types of spoons and don't get me started on the glasses. This brother was not living the soft life. The soft life was him. But at his gate, laid a poor man named Lazarus. He also had clothes. His clothes were his souls. He desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came, to, came and licked his wounds. Lazarus was a poor man. He had sores as clothes. He was the total opposite of the rich man. He, he scraped for food. It said he desired, he, he longed that the rich man would, I really pray that he would drop that piece of a rib. I hope that piece of chicken would fall off the table, that I could have something to eat. It says he desired that he would get something that fell off the table even a mere slice of bread. But we note from this passage that the rich man shows no compassion. At no point in this passage does it say that the, that, that, that the rich man gives him water, gives him bread, gives him juice, nothing. Lazarus was down so bad that it was only the dogs that showed him pity. The dogs, in compassion, licked his wounds to help him heal from his souls. You see, what we find here is two men. Two men who lived completely different lives. Two men whose lives went in two completely separate directions. They experienced completely different things, but there was one thing that united them. Death. They both died. Friends, it's important for us to note here tonight that death does not look at your age. So you may be sitting here and think you have time, but friend, you don't have time. In fact, I was reading this week of what happened in Bramfontein. On a bus, coming back from a lecture. Friends, you don't have time. Today could be your day. 
Death does not look at your age. It does not look at your social or financial status. It doesn't look at whether or not you've completed your degree or how many degrees you have. It doesn't look at your contributions to the world. It doesn't look at your contributions to, your, to the church, your contributions to the household. Death shows no partiality. The rich man and the poor man, the old man and the young man, the man and the woman, the believer and the unbeliever will experience the inevitable experience of death before the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. Death is inevitable. And so tonight the question really is what happens after you die? What happens after I die? You see, we're told that happens after the two men died. It says the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. You see, he probably didn't have a dignified funeral. He probably didn't have a fancy coffin. He probably didn't have people who came and and gave him fancy eulogies. He died and that's it. But we read that he was ushered into heaven by angels. He shared a table with patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was numbered among the holy ones of God who will see no corruption, who will see not the wrath of God. He shared in heaven's chorus, holy, holy, holy is the Lamb of God. Holy is the one who is and is to come. He was ushered into angels and he was worshipping his God. His, his sores were healed. His poverty was gone. He was saved by the blood of the Lamb. But the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment. With all that money, with all that food, <laughs> With all the happiness he thought, he, ha- he thought this life could give him, he found himself, oh, it's a sign. He found himself, I'm joking, in hell, tormented for sinning against a holy God. Friends, he probably had a state funeral where the army was marching in front of his coffin. No, he didn't. It's just, it's just in my mind. He probably had great obituaries. He probably had great eulogies. But all of this, all the things he had accumulated, they stayed behind. Naked he came into the world and naked he left. His families, his family shared in his spoils and probably some of them fought over his things. But he took nothing with him in his death but his sin. He lifted up his eyes. He saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. Church, hell is a real place. Hell is a place of torment. It is a place of total consciousness. You are fully aware of everything that is happening to you in hell. It doesn't feel like a dream. It is a real place for real souls which will become real bodies in the lake of fire. 
The tears in hell are real. The shame in hell is real. There is an overwhelming feeling of regret in hell. Friends, you don't lose your memory in hell. There is a remembrance of the opportunities you missed to believe. A remembrance of all your sins against the holy God. A remembrance of all who remain behind without hope as you did. It is a place of physical, emotional, and spiritual pain. And this pain is for eternity in darkness. See, the rich man calls out to Father Abraham, which is interesting for us to take note of. Why does he address him as Father Abraham? How did he know that this was Father Abraham? We'll address this toward the end. But he says to Father Abraham, Father Abraham, tell that guy who begged at my gate, the guy that I showed no mercy, the guy I left hungry and clothed with sores, won't you ask that guy if he could come and show me mercy? Won't you ask that guy whom I ignored to dip his finger in water and place it on my tongue that I may be cooled from the anguish of this flame? That right there is the reason why he is in hell. This man is in torment in hell and he's still thinking of what is seemingly temporary. He's asking for a dip, for a season of relief instead of pleading that he would receive repentance from sin and be taken out of hell. All he cares about is relief. No acknowledgement of the holiness of God. You see, your sin, you are aware that as you are suffering in hell, it is because of your sin. There is no one who is going to be in hell who's going to plead ignorance. There is no one in hell who won't know why they are there. There is no one in hell who is wondering if God is real. (laughs) They know. They know that they have fallen short against the glory of God in their sins and they know that they are paying justly for rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, listen carefully tonight. There is no mercy. There is no escaping hell. There is no second chances. If you wasted the opportunity to respond by faith tonight and tomorrow you die, there is no second chance. Once you've opened your eyes in hell, my friend, it's already too late. Consider verse 25. But Abraham said, child, remember... Remember that in your lifetime, you received good things. You lived the soft life. You received your reward. Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here. The reward of Lazarus' faith is the comfort of heaven. The reward of rejecting Jesus is anguish in hell. Verse 26 says, and besides all this, even if I wanted to help you, between us and you is a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you are not able to do so. And none can come from you to us. Friends, the season of grace is coming to an end. 
The season of when the gospel is sounded forth is coming to an end. There is coming a time when the gospel of Jesus Christ will no longer be available. The time to repent of your sins is now. The time to repent of your sins if you reject the now will be gone and you will have to pay for your sins by yourself because you have rejected Jesus' payment for your sins on the cross. Christian, this should, should, should stir fire in your belly that the opportunity for the gospel to be proclaimed is coming to an end so there must be urgency on your side to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those you rub shoulders with will perish without knowledge, will perish without faith in Jesus Christ. Share Jesus that they may repent and believe. God forbid that there be someone sitting here tonight who has rejected Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, I pray that you will be so gracious to save that soul here tonight that doesn't know you. Verse 27 says, And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham. If someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Herein lies the heart of this parable. This rich man's rejection of the law and the prophets left him condemned. He represented the Pharisees who who thought that by their good works they could force their way to heaven. He represented the Pharisees who, who were being convicted of their sins, but instead of repenting to believe, instead of repenting to faith, they instead persecuted the church, persecuted those who believe, persecuted Jesus to the point of murdering him for preaching the truth. The Pharisees added to the law of God. They lived out on their own principles. They lived on the standards that they made for themselves, no longer by the standard of God's word. They thought that they were holy, but God did not even know them by name. I hope you noticed that we have two characters in this story, but we only know the name of one. The rich man's name was not graven on his hands. The rich man's name was not written on his heart. The rich man's name was not found written in the Lamb's book of life. He knew Father Abraham because he knew the law. He knew Father Abraham because he knew what the word of God said, but he loved money more. He found and he committed to his master. He chased the bag. He caught the bag only to be able to afford a one-way first-class ticket to hell. From hell he begs, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place. But Father Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. If you have rejected 
the living Word of God, if you have rejected the Word of God that comes by the power of the Spirit to convict to salvation, why do you even think that you would believe if someone rose from the dead to warn you? You won't believe them. If anything, you'll respond in fear or you'll even worship the dead person. But it will not produce faith as only the Word of God by the power of the Spirit can do that. So have you responded to the living, inerrant, authoritative Word of God? Are you living in accordance to the living, inerrant, authoritative Word of God? The Pharisees didn't. They added to it. The world rejects it, but Lazarus believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It's important to note as I come to the end here that poverty was not the reason why Lazarus was saved. This is not a poverty gospel. The rich man was not condemned because he was rich. It was believing in God as he revealed himself in his word that Lazarus was ushered into heaven by angels. It was his faith that saved him and it was the rejection of God who is revealed in the scriptures that decided the faith of the rich man. How will you fear? So to close... Every earthly dream you have ever had, every earthly dream of some sort of success and the good life, it was lived out by the rich man. He had riches, he had success, he had status, he had comfort, yet he lost his soul. Is your degree, is your job, is your relationship, is your desire to be rich, successful, and comfortable going to cost you your soul? Is it worth gaining the whole world and losing your soul? If I'm reading this passage within its context correctly, then the rich man could have also said he was a, righteous, a religious man, he could have also said he was a religious man who checked the boxes, but he had no faith because money and himself was his master. Who is your master? Believe Jesus at his word. Hell is a real place, but so too is our lovely Lord Jesus Christ. I want to I wanna call you tonight to, to believe that He took the penalty for you. I want you to believe that He came to redeem you by His precious blood. And so I want to call you to believe in Him. Believe in Him so that you can enjoy the benefits of being found in His presence in heaven for all eternity. You will be with Jesus and His saints, free from suffering, sin, and shame. Won't you believe tonight? But there are some here tonight who say, Hey, I believe. 
There are some who know the word and they know exactly what the word demands but are actively choosing to shelf it. They're actually choosing to compartmentalize which part of the word they want to apply to which part of their lives in different seasons of their lives. There are some who are sitting here who know exactly what God expects from them, but they have shelved His word because they want to get the bag. They have shelved His word because they want to please man. They have shelved His word because they want to please self. They have shelved His word because they are striving for earthly things. Until I get what I want, I will not pick up the Bible. But as soon as I'm done on my journey, I will pick it up again and I will apply it again. It doesn't matter until it does. Friend, you could put your Bible down, you could pursue yourself, abandon the demands of the kingdom of God only to lift up your eyes in torment. Church, tonight it is a warning. Repent and believe. First Peter, Second Peter chapter 1. It's an appeal to the church. Church, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. So church today, tonight, right now, is the time to live for Jesus. Right now is the time to commit your life to Jesus. Right now is the time to obey his name. Tomorrow doesn't even exist. Forget about tomorrow. Focus on right now, right here. Commit your life to Jesus. Tomorrow doesn't exist unless God permits it and we don't know if he will permit it. And so work with what you have. What you have is today. Won't you worship God with your life from today onwards? Who will you serve? God or money? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and God, thank you for the fact that we can preach your word as it is. Thank you, Lord, that it is, it is not me who, who, who has the power to make your word effective. And so in the places where I stumbled on my words and in the places where I wasn't as clear, God, praise you for your spirit who is now ministering in the hearts of your people. Dear God, I ask that your people would, would soften their hearts to the conviction of your word. God, may they respond in repentance and belief. May they respond in a life of of commitment where they live to pursue your kingdom first and all these things will be added unto me. But family is not a bad thing. Work is not a bad thing. In fact, work was instituted by you. Marriage is not a bad thing. Marriage is instituted by you. Church is not a bad thing. You gave us church. But God, we can be so consumed by these good things that they only force us to check a box that we are externally righteous, but internally dead. Oh God, I pray that tonight your spirit would bring about life. God, I pray that your spirit would would bring life to bones that were going dry. The bones of people who said they have a faith in you, but they were dry in the application of the truth. 
Precious Jesus, I pray that every one of us would leave this place really searching our hearts to see if we indeed are living our lives with Christ as our Savior and Christ as our Lord. So go with us. Lead us by your Spirit, I ask. And Lord, if there's one who has responded in faith, I want to say thank you. And if there's one who is questioning, please, God, by your Spirit, give them answers or lead them to ask the right questions. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.